Swim check one, two. Bike check one, two. Run check one, two. I think we're ready. Let's try this. Welcome to the Try Beginner's Luck podcast, a podcast where we explore the sport of triathlon from a variety of perspectives to help beginner triathletes on their journey. I am your host, Nashonda Shines. Welcome to another edition of Try Beginner's Luck. Yes, I'm thrilled to be with y'all today. And I'm just really, just, I feel so incredibly honored to have this guest. So this guest is a native of Colorado. He's a lifelong athlete who grew up playing sports year round. And he is an alpine ski racer. What? Okay. When I tell you who this is, you'll be just like, what, what is happening? It's so cool. I've never met anyone who was an alpine ski racer. Um, He started out attending University of Northern Colorado to play football, and then he enlisted in the U.S. Navy as a hospital corpsman. He then transitioned to become a helicopter rescue swimmer and combat search and rescue chief, crew chief. He has completed multiple combat tours and humanitarian missions. This gentleman holds a degree in sports and health sciences. He is a triathlete. He is a U.S. Navy man. He is Manjai Hosang. Manjai, welcome to Try Beginner's Luck. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes. So (laughs) a little bit of backstory. I met Manjai last year. And again, it was in a virtual situation. We were at the Endurance Exchange and he led one of the sessions and I was the MC for that session. And my mouth was wide open the whole time as he was giving his talk because he was talking about the importance of strength and conditioning training and how that is important for us as athletes. And so a lot of athletes, excuse me, a lot of triathletes, and I'm generalizing here, don't focus on strength and conditioning, but we make sure we get in the swim, bike, and the run. And so I wanted to bring Manjai on for multiple reasons because I wanted to focus on the strength and conditioning portion, but I also wanted to honor him and his heritage. He is Chinese Jamaican, and this is um, Asian American Pacific Islander month. And I wanted to be able to bring you wonderful guests of all cultures and nationalities. And Manjai is the man. So Manjai, thank you so much for being here. And let's just jump right in to talk about strength and conditioning and the importance for triathletes. Cool. Feet first, right? Feet first in the water. Go ahead. (laughs) So strength training for triathletes. Uh, Honestly, it became more or less a passion of mine when you see that it's kind of ignored in the community. Um, I, I like to think, or, or when you look at the statistics and you look at the top uh, 10%, and I'll go with the top 10% professionals, top 10% in the age group ranks, uh, I can guarantee every single one of those athletes has a strength training program. So uh, having a, a background in strength and conditioning as an age group triathlete, and then moving into the coaching realm, I saw that, wait a minute, we're, we're missing a segment here and we got to push the importance on uh, A, how important strength training is for your performance and B, just for general health and, and longevity after you're done uh, running in triathlons when you're 70, 80 years old, are you going to be using a walker or are you going to be able to, to be upright and, 
and as I've seen the last couple of races, still be out there doing it. I want to be upright when I'm eight. <laughs> oh, so I guess sure. I better get my strength and conditioning on. Oh yeah. So let's talk about, cause we're going to come back to the strength and conditioning a little bit more in detail, but let's go back to your journey into athletics. You are a lifelong athlete. I, of course you did the, the regular sports, but I want to hit on this Alpine ski racing. So tell me about you growing up in sport. So I'm, I, I call myself lucky enough to be a native of Colorado, born and raised. Uh, I'm an 80s kid. Uh, so luckily we didn't have all social media and the games that were going on. So we were always outside playing. Uh, I come from a single parent household. My mom did everything she could to keep me active. And so if it were fall, I was in a sport. If it was winter, I was in a sport. If it was spring, I was in a sport. Uh, and I'll actually come back to that, that fact uh, that we were, we, I played a lot of sports. Um, a lot of people like to hop on alpine skiing. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, I got started the church. We went to uh, twice a year, did a ski trip. Uh, we'd load up the church um, on a Sunday, hop on uh, what they had is called the ski train, went up to a winter park ski area. We'd stop right there and ski all day. Uh, it wasn't until, and it's kind of, you know, mirrors my triathlon journey is of course it's, it's kind of hard. You don't see too many, too many faces of color in the eighties up on a ski slope, but I saw one or two. And the one I saw was actually doing, um, running, uh, some racing gates. And I was like, how do I do that? Uh, so my mom did some research. We found uh, a club and that's how I got into it. It's something that, uh, I thought, Hey, this, this looks, this is a fun B. Uh, I kind of got good at it really quick. Uh, so I entered up was able to attend two different uh, ski racing academies exclusively. So my learning curve not only was, was very steep, but I also had uh, what's important is what we call time on the hill. Um, by the time I was a junior in high school, I was able uh, to be ranked in the top 25 in the nation for my age group. And my junior to senior year of summer, I got to do some training with the United States Alpine Ski Team and was looking at uh, earning a spot on the development team uh, with the ultimate goal of one day, there were about five of us who were like, Hey, let's go to the Olympics. Uh, and then for us, that's like, Hey, that means we're going to have a black ski racer in the Olympics. Combine that with kind of my love for football. What do we do? What's the guaranteed shot? Uh, so I, I did make a decision at the point in time. I was like, well, football, uh, believe it or not, might be the easiest because at the time I thought it was kind of the past path of least resistance. And that's the path I took. Well, <laughs> I didn't work out too well because, uh, you know, football school was, I wasn't the best student at the time. And so that, that fell off, but um, I'll tell you, my roots are in skiing. Uh, my roots are on the Hill and people kind of look and scratch their head. I went skiing. I, I took about 25 years off the Hill, uh, went skiing about three years ago, put some boots on, snap in the bindings. And after about five minutes, somebody looked and go, there's no way you've never not skied in the past 20 years. So it's, it's, it's a lot of my life lessons were rooted in ski racing and, and that boils over to triathlon for me. Um, when I first started racing triathlons in, in the early nineties, I didn't see a lot of whole, a whole lot of people who look like me. Uh, so it was, I hear, you know, some, when we come to multicultural and let's, uh, provide opportunity for minorities to get into it. I understand it. And I think it's important, 
I can't say I ever really felt uncomfortable because I'd already been in that situation before, but I do know the importance of uh, kind of that opportunity. So that's, that's my ski racing. <laughs> wow. I think uh, when you talk about your journey about, especially in equating that to triathlon and being able to transfer the skills and the, in the feel of being welcomed or not welcomed as being one of the only people of color out on the hill or in triathlon, but you had already had a taste of it before getting here. And I think it's just important. And what you said is that when you saw a person that looked like you on the hill, you said, I want it to be like him. How do we do it? And you and your mom researched. So it goes to show and prove that when you see someone that looks like you, their representation, it matters so that you can identify yourself in it and be like, I can have a shot at that as well. Um, as you've grown into this sport, you said you started in 19, well, in the 90s. What was it like doing triathlon in the 90s? Like I've talked to someone who, who started in the 80s and you know went into the 90s, but I haven't yet talked to someone who started in the 90s and still, I feel like you're relatively young. Oh, thanks. I hope. I, uh, you know, I'd be remiss to tell you that my my first multi-sport event was done on a dare. And it was a dare uh, of a young brash me running my mouth, telling somebody else I thought it was pretty easy to do. Um, and, and I bring that point up for, for the fact that uh, I was coming off being a football player. I was probably 210 pounds of all muscle. And I, I did the event. And I was probably one of the last five people to finish. But here's what caught my attention. Uh, one, although I was one of the last five, as I, it was a hill where you finished, everybody I think who was at that race was sitting there clapping, cheering you on. Uh, and for me personally, when I crossed the finish line, the first person to shake my hand was the dude that I, that I was running my mouth with. Uh, and that instantly said, I want to be a part of this community because everybody gave you a pat on the back and supported you. So um, that was my, my first. Second, I'll tell you, I started racing. I was uh, stationed in Texas at the time. Uh, and there just happened to be a consistent three or four other minority faces I saw at all the races back then. This is where uh, pre-internet, you would go to the look on the back of Triathlon Magazine to find entries, tear them out, you'd, you'd sign them, you send a check in the mail, and you wait to see if you got in the race. Uh, so there were three or four consistent minority faces I saw. Uh, and like you said, I was new, but it told me, hey, it's okay. Uh, I can be here. And so representation, I, 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 again, I didn't really feel that uncomfortableness. I, I, I did notice it, uh, but never had too many bad experiences. It was, hey, you know, what, what are the minority kids doing here? Um, so I thought the 90s for me wasn't wasn't bad learning experience. I think in the sport, a lot of people were coming into it and we were all learning at the same time. Uh, I will tell you that I, I did take kind of a break active, you know, being on active duty. Um, I, I was, I had series of deployments coming back in, in the two thousands, there was a distinct difference. I, I, I will not pull any punches on the attitudes, the, Hey, I, I noticed some of that we are community was gone and it was all about me, the individual racer. Hey, get your, get your bike away from my towel when you'd rack your bike. Or in the nineties, you, you didn't really have that. 
Um, unfortunately, I think I'm seeing another swing back to, hey, we are kind of family. And, and I credit that to a lot of the, the corporations or the uh, sponsors who are starting to develop these, um, these teams or these ambassador teams. I think once again, we're kind of having this, we are family kind of feel atmosphere, at least within, I'd say the ambassador teams and maybe some friendly bantering back and forth towards going back to, hey, this is a sport uh, that we're all in together. We're all, we're all in for the herd together and that we can all you know embrace and, and be one because we're out here doing the same thing. And most importantly, we should be out here having fun. You're no stranger to podcast. You, you, (laughs) you're just telling these stories and I'm like, wow. Yeah. What I love is you're the second person this season who's talked about the triathlete magazine and pulling and tearing out their entry points so that they can send their check-in. I think that's amazing. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, if we had to do that today, imagine the headaches that people would have. So thank God for internet and great uh, websites where we do not have to wait. We can find out immediately. I guess we're that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're lucky. Oh yeah. Those are yeah. fun times though. They were. So take me back to your first race. Was your first race a sprint or an Olympic or which distance did you choose and why? So my very first full trained for go for triathlon was uh an olympic an international olympic distance race um bernie lake up outside san antonio texas holy smokes uh it was it was what was around it was what i was available for uh it was i guess uh, interesting learning experience but again it was something where if everybody who would pass you or run up to you always, it was a conversation, you know, a pat on the back. Hey, how you doing? Uh, what's going on? You know, don't worry. Hey, I live around here. The hill is going, going here, there. Uh, it was a little weird though. I'll tell you, we, we swam in the reservoir and then you ran in town and then you finished up with the bike. Um, so, but overall it was fun. I'll tell you, I I still have pictures of it. Uh, uh, it's, it's in my heart. Every time I look, I'd be like, is the Bernie, Bernie triathlon still running? I don't think it is, believe it or not. I think they were trying to bring it back, but, um, and then after that, it was just a series of, of sprint races. Um, there really wasn't any, uh, I don't think even think 70.3 was around at that point in time. Uh, so a series of, of international distance races in Texas is what I did. Uh, capital Austin triathlon was a big one. Uh, Katy, Texas before it blew up, uh, they were still building homes in Katy, Texas, when there was a triathlon out there, out in Sugarland. Um, so again, the distances were were perfect. I was 23, 24, you know, trained every day, so uh, they were fun. Okay, and the one in which you dared someone to do it was that a sprint? That yeah, that was actually yes, it was a sprint with with no bike. They took the bike out. Um, it was actually on base and it was on base in Guam, believe it or not. It's my first race. So it was a full, uh, 1500 meter swim followed by a, uh, a 5k. Yeah, it was a 5k run. Okay. Okay. So you got bit by the bug in the nineties. You're still Holy in smokes. the game <laughs> in the 2022s. <laughs> <laughs> so 
tell me what is it like today training and how you're share how you're such a different athlete today than you were when you started. Uh, I think the training has changed one, a, well, I think age is, is number one. How do you train when you get older? Uh, I will go with, I know it sounds cliche. Uh, I train smarter, not harder. First of all, um, I understand what training is uh, Two, I, I think we have to get to a point and I don't know when society is going to figure out that older athletes, how can they keep going? Because we keep getting smarter about how to train. And so I understand when you say, oh, I understand my body. I understand my body as a 50 year old better than I did as a 30 year old. So I know what hurts and what's uncomfortable uh, for, you know, so that, so that's, that's the training uh, racing wise, you know, you're a little more strategic. We've got a lot more options. Uh, and I, I don't think at any one point in time, I ever wanted to make this a career or, or be a professional. I know, you know, I don't think too many people in the nineties said, Hey, you can make money doing this. Um, so it was still for fun. So I know, uh, the one big thing I make sure, you know, is is having fun and with the training, training environments to me is important. Uh, you have to, your, your time is put in training. That's where you get your results. So you have to, as, as one of my, my oldest stepbrother says, you have to love the train. Cause if you don't love the train, you're not going to be a very good, good racer. Okay. You mentioned you have a brother. Is he in the multi-sport world too? He, oh no. <laughs> multi-sport of, of, of sitting and watching. <laughs> I just had to ask. I just had to ask. That is, um, I love how you say that you've gotten smarter. And I think, you know, for this audience, you know, we have people from all ranges of life, but this is definitely targeted towards like beginners and seeing what they needed to do. So for today's triathlete, what, how would you encourage a beginner to train? So beginner triathlete training, I think is, is probably one of the more challenging athletes to coach as a coach. I, I love training or working with beginners. I'm actually going to start with one here soon is um, the importance of understanding each discipline. And, and I'll start with the swim because a lot of people are like, Oh, I'll figure out, I'll get over it. And, and keeping in mind that yes, at the most, I think, if you look at calculations, the swim is only 20% of the race. But the swim is the first part of the race, and it will make or break you. Uh, and then if you have a race where it's open water, now we're going to go from are you comfortable in the water? Are you comfortable swimming in a pool to, hey, guess what? Uh, we're going to take the walls and the lane lines away. Are you comfortable swimming in open water? Uh, so for beginner triathletes, uh, the first thing I really emphasize is um, don't be embarrassed to seek out lessons. It's not an embarrassment. If you're going to pay a coach uh, and the coach is going to teach you to swim, that's one thing. Um, but if you, if you need to figure out, Hey, I can only swim 50 meters and I, I have to stop, understand the mechanics of swimming and specific swim coaching, or even adult swim lessons are the best. Uh, I, I worked at a pool where they gave adult swim lessons and generally there's only two to three per class. So the progression is very quick. You can progress quickly, unlike a class of 15 or 20. Plus, uh, you know, I think adults understand. So the, the swimming aspect and just uh, patience and 
understanding the fundamentals of the stroke and just, just doing it, you, just doing it and trusting yourself uh, is big. The bike, I think, uh, I, I hear a lot of people put what I think at times is too much emphasis on bike equipment versus actually understanding to ride a bike. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think uh, Tyler Nib last year was a prime example. You don't have to have a $3,000 time trial machine to be a top performer. He did it on a road bike. Um, so a, a, a solid bicycle setup to get going is important. Understand uh, how the bike works. After that, start to put in the time to riding your bike. And, and it's not just uh, riding on the trainer. I think the most important thing uh, I like to emphasize for beginner and new triathletes is, is A, you got to find a safe road um, or a bike path and just ride. Understand what it's like to ride. You don't have to ride. If you're, you know, the new triathletes who are going for a sprint, you don't need to go out for two and three hour rides. You know, your, your friends in triathlon who do half Ironmans, oh, you got to go out for a two and a half, three hour ride on the Saturday. No, you don't. Go out for a nice, solid 40 minute, to an hour ride, build yourself up. Again, you're supposed to be having fun with this and you'll understand the bike. Uh, the run, uh, I tell people I run because it's part of triathlon and that I wouldn't run at all. But, you know, you, you embrace the run because it's, it's one of the most natural human movements we can do and that's running. And again, for sprint triathlons, hey, if you start out running half mile, you know, two times, three times a week and the next week you work yourself up to a mile, uh, that's, that's the beginning. And so being able to run 3.1 miles for a sprint, uh, doesn't have to be your fastest, just need to get through it. Uh, and, and again, at the end, you can smile and go, Hey, I accomplished something. There's my sprint. And now you have something to build upon after that. You know, I I'm so glad that you said what you said about each of the different sports and that you broke them down the way that you did, because it at least gives them some basis and a premise that they can go around and be able to say, hey, if I'm doing this, I'm doing this and I'm doing this. I am at least at a basic start. How would you incorporate the strength and conditioning piece? And how many times a week should one do strength and conditioning? Uh, Here we go. Now you're now now you're talking my game. Yes. Yeah, strength and conditioning. So when it comes to strength training, strength training is exactly that. It's a training session. It's a training day. Uh, I implore everyone to add a strength training session to your work week, just as you add a bike session, a swim session, or run session. Uh, Typically for beginner triathletes, if we're just in, you know, beginning the season or I'm entering my first season and I have a race in two or three months, twice a week is perfect. Twice a week is perfect to work on your fundamental movements using light to middle weight. We're not in there rearranging the weight room. We're trying to be like bodybuilders. What we want to do is do some resistance training to improve your muscle strength and stability Therefore, when you put your body under stress, it knows how to react. Uh, And I emphasize that word stress because when we look at, and to get a little technical, when we look at the neurological system, putting stress on your neurological system in the weight room is the exact same system you 
that's stressed out while you're at work, while you're driving in the car and the person in front of you cuts you off. All right. So it's the same system. So understanding how to, to develop that system. So it's resilient that way, when it comes under stress again, uh, it knows how to react. So beginner triathletes twice a week, lightweight, basic fundamental movements of some pressing, some pulling, uh, some hinging squats, and maybe, you know, a lunge along with some core stability work and you're on your way. Uh, as you move out of your, your first season and then you have an off season before you move to your next season, uh, as you lower your swim, bike, and run training days, you can now up your weight training days to maybe three times a week. Um, 35, 45 minutes in the gym, and I say out of there. So just to recap, so during the season, you recommend two to two times a week and then off season up to three times a week and for up to 45 minutes. Right. Off season, if if it ends up being three to four times a week, up to an hour, uh, that's perfect. I always, I, 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 when I program athletes and I see athletes in the gym, uh, or if I'm coaching an athlete, they're no more than an hour. I've coached athletes who are elite level high school, uh, college. I've coached some athletes who are on national teams for their sport because I don't just coach one sport. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, we don't train more than an hour. Um, anything longer than that, and you're, and you're doing something else. So a lot of people, a lot of worries are, am I going to get big? Am I going to get bulky? I'm a lady. I don't want to like, look like a man. Um, if you're in there 45 minutes, you're not going to risk that because we're, we're training our muscles to do it. When we start adding extra weight and you're saying two and a half, three hours in the weight room, now there's ulterior modus. But for the, for the sport, uh, when you add mobility, flexibility, and strength training, uh, effective training programs, that's 30 to 45 minutes. You're in, you're out uh, because you need rest because you got swim, bike, and run somewhere that day or the other days. Uh, the train as well. So good. I want to apologize real quick to both the listeners and the viewers and to you. So about an hour ago, I took what um, I thought was a kitty Benadryl. Take a that big one. <laughs> it's the liquid kind and Ooh. it says kitty. So I took the recommended dose or maybe two because um, it was kitty. And now I'm like, mm-hmm. Like dozing <laughs> off. So please forgive me. Of course, you know, it's that season, it's allergy season. And, you know, I just, so please forgive me. I, in case I sound, it's, sound incoherent, guys, it's because I just <laughs> took a bit of your pill. So if you know me, probably call and check on me because it is like, ooh. <laughs> but you mentioned something at the end about mobility, flexibility, and strength training. My question I wrote down to follow up to that is, why? Is mobility and flexibility so important? And how can that make or break your race? Mobility, flexibility. As beginner, as beginner triathletes enter the enter the sport, the one thing is you look at is their athletic background. Uh, if you do not come, and I'm gonna use swimming for example, because that is always a hot topic. If you do not grow up in the pool swimming four to six days a week as a junior swimmer. Uh, when it comes to effective swimming, 
you notice we're always talking about technique. Uh, if you do not have appropriate shoulder mobility, it's going to be difficult and it sometimes can be painful to achieve proper technique without the proper mobility. So when it comes to beginners and strength training, the first thing we want to assess is their mobility function. A basic example is as a, I don't know, 30 something year old adult, can you lift your hand straight over your head? And you'd be surprised how it's like, huh, can I, can I not? Um, does it go straight up? Do I turn my head when I do it? Or does it go straight up and down? Um, so once you have mobility, A, it's a point to start to work on, but B, we can improve your strength because C, you're going to need the strength throughout the race with your shoulders. A, you're swimming with your shoulders. B, uh, when you get on your bike, if you go down an arrow position, your shoulders are in play. And then C, uh, when you start running and your arms start going uh, back and forth, yeah, they're swinging from your shoulders. So, oh. uh, yeah, so mobility plays a big part. That will help in your overall improvement of the strength aspect. And the stronger you are, um, the, the better your performance will be. Okay, that's good. That's a good segue into backing <laughs> up a bit. Okay. What is mobility? Mobility is basically the, the freedom of movement of the, of the joint. And is it anatomically correct? Do you have uh, impingement or have you built what we call a compensatory pattern? Meaning uh, generally uh, an easy example, what I have people do is stand up tall, lift one foot off the ground and reach for something right in front of them to pick up without falling over. Now there's a pro there's a way that some people will just bend their knees and do it. There's a way where people will twist to do it. Um, what I want to see is, can you hold your balance, bend your knee and pick that up? Uh, if not, we all have uh, compensatory patterns. We all compensate. Uh, we don't want those compensations to lead to an injury due to overuse. And that's, that's where a lot, oh, I overuse this and that. Well, are you using, uh, is, does your muscle, does your joint move in the correct pattern so the correct muscles uh, are firing to complete the movement? If not, it's a compensatory pattern. It needs to be needs to be evaluated and adjusted. That's it. We all sit in chairs all day. That's the best one. Uh, us sitting in chairs is a compensatory pattern to squatting. When's the last time you sat down uh, and did a squat and sat on the floor? Mm, so people <laughs> at their workplace or now that they're at home, they can just do a couple of squats every day to help them build that, that muscle and to help with that chain. What it will, you know, you know what that'll do is I challenge adults to do that all the time is it will, it will show you, it will self-identify what your compensatory pattern may be and automatically fix it. And the example I use is anyone who has or knows if you have a toddler, put a toy on the floor and, and, and watch how they squat down to play with it. That is an anatomically correct squat. Can you do the same? You know, hmm. who teaches when, with the, and, and parents with little ones or aunts and uncles, if you've ever babysat the toddler, uh, you don't have to teach a toddler how to walk or squat 
we, we move things out of the way so it's safe, but you don't have to teach them, right? So they learn the patterns of mobility. Now, as an adult, can you do the same? If you're watching or listening, can you do the same? <laughs> Hashtag, let us know. <laughs> yeah, drop, drop it like it's hot. Hey, drop it like it's hot. Drop. Stop, <laughs> stop. It's too early for that. Okay. I'm not ready for that. That's part of the ending section. Okay. So flexibility, that is one that probably gets a bad rap, at least for me it does, but it's so important. How would you tell someone to incorporate flexibility? And if so, how much? And then I have a follow-up question to that. So, so I'm going to shoot you with a question. Flexibility gets a bad rap from you because why? You're not flexible. I didn't ask you to ask me that. <laughs> A lot of people don't like it. Yeah, I'm stiff. It hurts. I can't move because you don't move in that pattern. Anyway, and I know that. Uh, so uh, when I term mobility, flexibility, and I put them together, when you start to become mobile, uh, you improve your body's uh, ability to, to flex. Uh, and, and again, uh, yeah, and, and rid yourself up or correct those compensatory patterns. And, and when I look at that, I always look at the same thing. What do we do when we're not good at something? We practice, practice, practice. Mobility, flexibility, I urge everyone to put that in the same group. If you are not very flexible, if you are not mobile, take 15 minutes out of your day and do mobility, flexibility patterns. After a while, your body will adapt. Our bodies are awesome machines and it will start to understand, oh, this is the pattern I need to move in and your flexibility will increase. It comes over time. It has to be done. We have to have patience. I am the poster child of inflexibility. Every fifth, every day, my first 20 minutes, uh, I, I complain because my coffee gets cold. So it's a cup of coffee, couple sips down on the floor. My dogs attack me, but they know I'm doing my movement patterns. And three or four weeks later, the, the arm that couldn't touch the ground behind me is now rubbing against the floor. So it's practice and patience. I like that practice and patience and 15 minutes a day is what the doctor prescribes for the inflexible. And yes, to that point, I am a little <laughs> inflexible in certain regards. So I could possibly do that. So do you suggest doing um, flexibility workout and mobility workouts in the morning or in the evening? done anytime i like to start my day with them because when you when you start mobility flexibility um a it starts your muscles moving uh you'll hear some people oh you got to have warm muscles eh, your muscles will warm up by moving it's called friction mm -hmm. um b you have to have a heart rate up guess what if i start to move my body my heart rate uh will automatically take care of itself if it needs to elevate it will self-regulate and elevate um so uh, it's just something I do to start my mornings off because I know that's when I'll get it done. Uh, I also tend to do it right before a workout. It takes me 15 minutes. I have 15 minutes onto my workout, do my mobility and, and go. And the rewards uh, are steep and deep. Uh, you'll get off your workout and be like, wow, I feel pretty good. That's what we want. We want you to feel good. Uh, you shouldn't get out of a workout and go, that hurt. I'm stiff. I don't want to do that again because that's not fun. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, you hear what we need to do. You hear what <laughs> I did say we, we need to do. Um, because I think, you know, one of those things, again, I go back and I say it. And if I'm not doing it, I hear it in circles. It's that the quote unquote yoga that people are just like, oh, I got to do yoga today. Or I got to do my stretches. But if people got a bike ride, oh, I got to do that bike ride. Oh, I got to do that swim. Oh, I got to do that run. Oh, I got to do that cross training. But when it comes to the mobility and the flexibility workouts, it's like, oh, I don't want to do that. So don't frown when it's time for you to do those flexible workouts and your flexibility workouts and mobility workouts. Be glad with it because your body will appreciate it. Yes. What is a series that you can talk us through that will be really good for people to do um, no matter what stage they're in? A series of mobility workouts. Well, uh, talk you, not visual. Oh, that's a good, oh, you're challenging me. Um, first one would be uh, a, a good a good yoga one. Uh, everybody knows, I think kind of knows the down dog. Um, so just what I like to do with that is toes um, tucked. And you can be on your knees. You don't have to be high hips or anything. Just kind of in a, in a kneeling position and just leaning forward. Okay. Going all the way forward, tucking your head and just kind of letting your muscles release and relax and just feeling a nice, even stretch and going back up. From there, since you're kind of in the kneeling position and your toes are tucked because they were tucked to begin with, is just pushing yourself up. And you're going to find you're in what I call that toddler squat position. Okay. Uh, the first couple may not be pretty. But that's when you'll find out how mobile your hips are. Your butt may be super high off the air. You may be angled a little bit and that's fine. And then you work yourself back down into that, what I call a modified down dog, and then back up to that toddler squat. All right. So I usually do each of those five times. Once you're in that toddler squat after your fifth one, I just simply stand straight up and put both hands above your head as if you're streamlining to kick off a pool off the pool wall and then as your arms are straight up back down in that toddler squat so that's five all right so now we've worked on uh your back and your core flexibility with the first modified down dog back up to that toddler squat we've worked on some hip mobility along with uh your hamstring and your glutes your posterior chain, uh, which are the muscles of your, of your back of your leg. And then as you start to squat, we're going to incorporate uh, your quadriceps, which is the front part of the muscle of your leg. And then with the hands over your head, we've got shoulder mobility. You keep them over your head as you drop back into that squat. And I've got core and trunk stability along with ankle flexibility. Uh, so we just went head to toe. And that's just five times each. Usually when you get good at that, I say do five at once. So it's down from a down dog, push back to a squat, hands over your head, stand up, squat back down, start all over. And that, that three movement sequence, uh, I, I'll tell you, I've, uh, I trained a young lady who is on the national field hockey team. Uh, she made the national team as a senior in high school. And that was our first 15 minutes of weight training. That was it. I was just thinking about how when you do 
yoga and flexibility training, the byproduct of that is you get stronger. Oh, yes. And that's a benefit that many don't think about as it relates to yoga. They're just thinking, oh, I'm just stretching. But no, you're technically getting stronger because you're still moving muscles and using that body weight. Which brings me into the next question. Is it better for athletes to do weight bearing exercises or weight on exercises when we're talking about strength and conditioning training? Weight bearing. Uh, the, the, the goal as a, as a strength coach is to always get you to move an external load. Uh, fundamental science, moving that external load that weighs more than you will develop your strength. Uh, it will also, as a byproduct, help improve your bone density, especially as you get older, so you can bear more weight, which means you can handle more stress. Uh, and it, and that's just actually the fundamentals uh, of weight training. So always look for that. So, so yes, that external load, weight, weight bearing. And, and did I just hear that the more weight or the stronger you are, the more stress you can handle? That's right. Remember that, that sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system, the one that, that gets frazzled when you get cut off in traffic, is the exact same system that gets frazzled at the end of your race because you're tired and is going to start turning on or turning off. Uh, it's the same system. So can you train it? You can train it to expect, okay, I know how to handle this stress when it happens. Um, and generally what happens is when you get tired, especially if you're without the, the absence of weight training in a race, that's when you see compensatory patterns. We've all been to, or if you've seen a race or a long distance run towards the end, some people have that forward lean looking like they're bent over and can't do anything. Well, the compensatory pattern is uh, their, their core strength isn't quite there. Their hip flexors are rolling out on them. And so they're going to shut down just what our bodies do. They shut down when they don't work. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Wow. There's so much that I could learn, especially when it comes to like strength and conditioning. But let's talk about a time that maybe you did not practice strength and conditioning. And what was the result of that? It, it, was, a, it was a time I actually knew better. Uh, I it was a time where I was kind of coming back in a triathlon. I, was, I, I took a short break. Uh, didn't do any strength training. I'd done one 70.3 previously. So I was like, ah, I'll just hop in and do my second one. No big deal. I know what the distance is. And halfway through the bike, I, I can tell you my, my back felt like I was 110 years old. Uh, as I kept going, that pain went down to my legs, uh, my calves, and I had problems actually dismounting the bike and somehow hobbling over uh, to rack my bike and, and I couldn't move. I was locked up. I'd seized up. I, I, I physically couldn't move. I, I lay down in the transition area. Uh, that was the result. That's, that's how that works. I was like, this, there's no way this can happen. I, I don't believe I, I wasn't even 40 years old when it happened. So. 
I can either a tell myself, oh, I'm just getting old uh, or b something, something has to change. And I knew I, I wasn't lifting weights at the time. And, and that to me, that's, that's what happened to me. So once I got back in the weight, re- weight regime, incorporated it in my training, uh, each year as it goes, uh, it, it gets better and better. I kind of use myself. Um, one of my coaching mentors goes, goes, when is your coaching method effective and how do you know? Uh, so what I've done with the methods that I use, uh, I was the guinea pig. I practiced them. I did them for six to eight months and then raced. Did it work? Did it not work? Okay. Part of it worked. Part of it didn't work. So now I'm just kind of a mad scientist throwing things together and at the end. Uh, the way I strength train athletes who run endurance sports, it's because I've done it. I figured out what worked and what didn't work. Although, you know, everybody's different, but once I see uh, what needs to be worked on, trust me, I, I've been there and actually done it. So I know what it's going to feel like. Okay. Okay. So people shouldn't rely on muscle memories when they're coming into racing. Cause sometimes people are like, Oh, well, I don't need to train as much because I've done it before. So muscle memory is not the ideal way to do it. No, you, you, we, we can, we can talk ourselves into it that it is. And you're, you're, there's always going to be some people who can get away with it once, maybe twice, but it's, it's not going to effectively happen. Uh, and you're just opening yourself up to injury. Love. Now I want to shoot back to talk about your Chinese Jamaican roots. What was that like growing up in Colorado, and how Confusing. did that affect sports? Ah, uh, so Chinese Jamaican a people would kind of look at me and go, "What?" And so I I tell the whole story. You know, my my mother's American. My father's Jamaican. Uh, my grandfather on my father's side, uh, was from China. Uh, and he married a Jamaican. Um, and obviously my mom and dad, uh, went from there. So you always look for as a kid, the names, a, what's your name? How do you say it? Where'd it come from? Uh, B there's no way you're Asian. Uh, so that was always kind of, kind of interesting. Uh, I found that kids, kids my age uh, were always more accepting uh, and could look at my name and would try it and I could tell them it and they'd say it right away. Adults always had the hard time of say your name again and always wanted to give me a nickname. Um, So it was a little different. Again, I was the kid. uh, We have the like the license plates out of the cereal boxes or your name tags on the store floor. I'd always give it a, a gallant look to see, maybe they just have it, but, but they didn't. So um, it was interesting. I, I didn't get too much flack. Uh, it was always, uh, it happened a few times uh, in high school and actually once in the military where someone came up and actually asked, Hey, do you know where this kid hosting is? <laughs> so I, I'd have a chuckle and give them a hard time for a minute and then say, Hey, it's, it's actually me. So. <laughs> have you ever had to overcome any barriers as a result of being, or as a result of being a Chinese Jamaican? The barriers I think are the obstacles that, that were always in place were, were predetermined. Uh, IE someone would just look at the name and would figure out uh, either 
I was a certain type of way, or I would say or react uh, a certain certain way or knew something or didn't know something. Uh, and I always found it interesting. Uh, I can give those answers because as I would get to know the person, they, they'd ante up and go, hey, I, I, I kind of feel embarrassed because I, I just figured, A, you were, you were Asian and didn't know anything or B, we're, you know, we're super smart at math. Like, you know, I, me and math don't get along. Uh, just because I have a Chinese last name doesn't mean I'm good at math. But, you know, so they were always pre, I call them pre-built walls. Uh, I didn't feel I have to have to tear them down because I didn't build it. Uh, so nine times out of 10, either A, I was just busting through it unknowingly, uh, or, or it wasn't an obstacle to me. I find um, things like that are obstacles for somebody else. Uh, and, and they have to tear down that wall to understand uh, who I am as a person. It's not my job to tear it down because I didn't put it up. That's not hashtag facts, hashtag truth, <laughs> and hashtag I never take Benadryl before an interview. <laughs> that kind of rhymed. <laughs> yeah, there you go. What's your favorite leg of the sport and why? Uh, swim. And it, it's, I think the swim is my favorite leg. A, in the military, uh, I was a helicopter rescue swimmer. Uh, so B, I'll admit, I do kind of play on some of those walls that go up. Uh, I get crazy looks like, you mean you can swim? And I'm thinking, did I notice not? tell you that was part of my job uh but b i find it the most relaxing uh, uh there's nothing like a, a fun long swim training day uh, those that are old enough i call the swim pool my calgon uh, i don't care what's going on in the world if i can get in the pool put on a set of goggles i get to be with me and my thoughts for however long that swim is and whatever's going on in the outside world uh it's it's easy to turn on because it's just me in the water. Um, and that's something that, that I've always, that was relished. So uh, the swim part is, is probably one of the most stressful with everybody starting and going all crazy. But I find that that's the, the one place where I get to be in my little bubble. What is one thing you would want a beginner to know as we close out this interview? Beginner multi-sport athletes. Uh, patience is important. Understand the value of establishing your fundamentals because once you have your fundamentals established, you can build anything you want. Uh, that, that's to me is that the biggest key. Uh, everybody has a friend who's done a triathlon. That's probably why they're doing it. So they're going to give you their triathlon training advice. Uh, but again, for beginners, build your fundamental base. Once your fundamental base is built, uh, the, almost the sky's the limit. The sky is the limit for you guys. I mean, what else is there oh, yeah. for us to talk about? There is so much more for us to talk about, but we're going to have to have a part two to this because this really is good. And you know, I just think it's so important if you get down the strength, if you get down the mobility and flexibility, it will truly change the way you feel and the way you see yourself in this sport. So thank you so much, Manjai. And we're going to move on to the brag post about you. I just want to share with people what you do and, you know, some of the things that you've accomplished 
and then we'll get into our rapid fire questions. Cool? Sure. All right. So Manjai has had many Iron Man and half Iron Man finishes. He's always looking for the next challenge. And guess what's up next, guys? A double Iron Man distance and a 100 mile ultra marathon. He's out of his mind, but we root you on. So just keep on that strength training so you can make it through. Um, he's currently a high school Navy ROTC instructor and an FAA certified unmanned aerial vehicle instructor. Manjai teaches leadership and core STEM principles to the next generation of leaders. He has a really cool philosophy called Brilliant on the Basics. Hmm, probably should have asked him more about that. But it's mastering the fundamentals and the foundation required to build advanced levels of performance. You got to build with the basics. And that's what Manjai wants you to do. So Manjai, let the people know how they can reach you and how they can stay in contact with you. So I'm, I'm, the, the easiest way probably to, to find me is either A, I'll admit I'm not a big social media person. And I know a lot of people go there. Um, a, LinkedIn. Uh, just because I, I like to keep uh, a lot of my contacts there. I find there's not riffraff. I'm also on Instagram. Uh, believe it or not, mindful endurance. Um, mindful underscore endurance is, uh, is my Instagram handle. That's I try to, you know, every now and then get some training stuff or just kind of see what's going on. And then I'm also in the uh, kind of the, the find the coach carousel uh, in awesome USA triathlon. Uh, I'm a training peaks coach, so you can find me in training peaks, uh, as well. Or if you're really like, oh, I just want strength training, uh, USA weightlifting, I'm in their coaching carousel as well. So you can just, uh, hit my name up. I'm in, uh, Virginia. So I think if you just hit, uh, Virginia or put my last name in there, you will, I will somehow pop up on your link. And that goes, uh, there's a separate email address that goes directly to, um, so LinkedIn, obviously I think LinkedIn is probably the easiest way. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. You know how to get into them, get in contact with him. All right, rapid fire questions. Let's do rapid fire. Um, because you mentioned drop fell, I guess, high earlier. Who's your favorite? Who's your favorite uh, music artist? Oh, holy smokes. Depends on, hey, you know, that's the day. Favorite music artist right off the bat? Uh, Bob Marley. That. Okay. World, world changer, game changer. Yeah. yeah. What is your favorite song? Oh. And I'm going to make it specific. What's your favorite Bob Marley song? Okay. I was going to say his favorite Bob Marley song is uh, Three Little Birds. Three because, little birds. you know, I don't care if you know the words or don't know the words. I had a friend that called it the happy song. Uh, Watch da 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 da. People move. There you go. People just start moving. So uh, there you go. Because up in the morning when you're facing the rising sun, <laughs> three little sun. birds. Okay. Yep. Sounds good. Yes. Okay. That woke me up in my spiritual <laughs> days. What? Who or what inspires you? What inspires me, uh, especially as a coach, is to have the ability to see people achieve their goals. Um, there's nothing more satisfying uh, 
as far as I am as a coach to watch somebody smile and go, I did it. And then it's like, yeah, you did it. Uh, that that's inspiring. Uh, who inspires me? You know, I've, I'm lucky enough to have a, a, a family, a wife, uh, kids who support me. They, they've all at one point in time sat at a race in miserable conditions, got up way too early or stayed up way too late. Whether I was, you know, first of the pack, Miller pack, last pack to say, hey, good job. Uh, so to me, that's, that's inspirational. And I hope I can be, again, just an inspiration to them to go, Hey, uh, anything we set our mind to, we can do. And let's say shout out to your beautiful wife who <laughs> approached me at a race and was like, this is what you going to do. So my husband <laughs> is coming across this finish line and you don't say his name, right. And his oh, name is pronounced Manjai Jose. I was like, yes, ma'am. And I did it because she was standing right there looking at me like, you, you oh, don't say his name right. <laughs> no, just... I, I heard it and I was like, wow, they nailed it. And I'm like, wait a minute, I've heard that voice before. Uh, that's why I popped <laughs> it. I was like, it's it's awesome. It's awesome. I'll, I'll tell you. And, and I don't, I don't, I, I think I've raced a fair amount of races. It's nice to finally hear a lady's voice. It's awesome. And, and you have the right voice to be doing that. And it's awesome. So please, I hope you are at more races this year. Um, from your lips to God's ears <laughs> who's listening to this who's going to make that happen and, yes. well Heck thank yeah. you so much our time has come to an end you are a delight and I can talk to you all day and again I apologize for me taking Benadryl because I am literally yeah. my eyes are getting so heavy but it's that season and it's that time of year and so if you're watching this, if you're listening to this, don't forsake your strength training. Don't forsake mobility and don't forsake flexibility. So be sure to get into it. Do it. It's going to make you a better and stronger athlete. And it's going to help you to try. And whenever you try Beginner's Luck, you always win. I'm Ashonda and I'm out. Peace. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. We need your help so we can continue to try at TBL. So for more information on where you can find and subscribe to this podcast, visit www.trybeginnersluck.com. And don't forget, whenever you try Beginner's Luck, you always win.